Blog Talk Radio. Fantasy Sports Radio Show. My, I'm your host, Brian Roach. Today's date, June 9th. Um, the fantasy, or not the fantasy, but the uh, MLB uh, rookie draft was this past week. So we had a lot of rounds of draft action. So we'll have all the analysis on that for some of the uh, top players that were drafted. Um, Hopefully everyone's enjoying the beautiful weather. Um, uh, everyone's enjoying the nice weather we're starting to have, um, especially in New England. Uh, the weather's starting to get nice. As always, my co-host is Cole Friel. Uh, Cole, what are you currently working on and anything you want to open up with um, before we um, get going with our streamers? But hold on, your mic's not opening. Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll let that, oh, there we go. Now, now you're open. You're all set to talk now. Yeah, no problem, Brian. Um, just, uh, just doing the normal so far. Uh, I'm trying to work on my, uh, mid season update, full re-rank, uh, going to try to re-rank, uh, basically every player I ranked in the preseason, every player I think deserves to be ranked now. Um, that's a more of on the personal uh, for MajorLeagueFantasySports.com, I will continue to be uh, producing my relief pitching articles that uh, release uh, uh, Wednesday. Um, so, so yep, that's just uh, mostly business as usual when it comes to the fantasy baseball world. Nice. Yeah. All sounds good. And our guest this week is Brian Lars. He's a writer with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com and the owner of Real Dynasty Sports. And he uh, will bring some great analysis on the 2019 MLB draft tonight. Uh, what are you currently working on, Brian? And anything you wanted to open up with? Well, yeah, I'm excited because we just finished up the, uh, the first-year player draft, and um, it's, a, it's an exciting time for people that are into uh, deep prospects and, and that type of thing. It's a little bit different than – and football, where those people that we just that were just drafted are likely not going to be seen in the major leagues for several years, and at best right. probably at least until next year. Uh, so it is different in that sense. Uh, so it's not so much something to keep an eye on for this year, but uh, those you know a lot of people are in deep um, uh, keeper leagues or dynasty leagues. These are really uh, important guys to have on your radar um, for the future, as well as uh, those that just uh, love baseball and have, uh, you know, the love their teams and kind of want to see what's kind of coming up. Because there's a lot of teams out there that have yep. really bad farm systems, and this is their chance to restock that. And it's, um, it's, it's so it's exciting uh, to, to kind of see the, you know, a glimpse of the future of Major League Baseball. As far as um, I'm getting geared up to the right, we, we have um, Major League Fantasy Sports is going to be covering this draft over two weeks, a uh, total of six articles putting up uh, three of us, and I will be focusing on the American League East and the National League East. And we actually um, wait until the last two weeks of June to, to write these write-ups. And 
Um, you, you know, if you if you Google the draft, you'll find that um, there's a lot of people that have their draft grade, uh, draft grades posted the next day, um, and that's great and that's fun to look at. But quite honestly, it's not really worth a whole lot because um, nobody's signed yet. Uh, in the first hundred or so draft picks in the draft this year, it's not even nine players that have signed yet. So the the grades of how well they drafted are really going to depend on uh, the signability of some of these players. Some of them had picked uh, mm-hmm. um, players in the first couple rounds that are most likely going to go back to school. We're going to honor their commitments. And if that's the case, their draft grade is going to drop down a lot, uh, a lot lower than what it was um, day one after the draft. So that's some of the things we're going to be looking at is um, uh, to kind of evaluate the, the teams, the draft strategies, some of our favorite picks. And then, um, you know, just kind of uh, how that's going to fit in uh, going forward. So that's what we got coming up for the next couple of weeks. Nice. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to reading about that. Uh, I, I wish more, uh, I, I wish it was quicker to develop uh, baseball um, prospects, but uh, it, it takes a couple of years, except for those top tier guys um, that come up in maybe like a year and year or two. But before we jump into our streamer breakdowns, I want to inform our audience of our partner, Thrive Fantasy Sports. Are you tired of the same old salary-based daily fantasy apps and websites? Sign up for Thrive Fantasy Sports, which is a prop bet-based site that uses over and unders for players in MLB, NBA, and NFL to make a lineup, and more sports are on the way. You can go to thrivefantasy.com or on the or on phones and tablets in the Apple and Google Play stores, look for the Thrive Fantasy app. After you download, use the promo code MLFS. That's MLFS. That's the initials for Major League Fantasy Sports. Uh, if you use that, you can get your first dollars or first ten dollars matched in real time. That's right. If you put in ten bucks, then you get an extra ten dollars in real time. Just enter the code MLFS. And remember to donate, donate to our Patreon account. You can go to MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Along the right side of the page, just under the headline section, you can find the Patreon donation button. You can set up a monthly donation for as little as $1 or make a one-time donation. Thank you to our current supporters. We also have openings in our football leagues for the upcoming 2019 season, so you can get a jump start on that. You can email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasy at Sports. Major League Fantasy Sports at gmail.com for more details. So we'll jump right in here to our pitching streamers. Uh, Cole, who do you got for Monday? All right, so uh, this was one of the hardest weeks I found to uh, – or, sorry, one of the hardest days, obviously. Uh, Monday, as we always talk about, is often um, right. you know, where, where we have the shortage of games. Um you know, I, w- I wasn't really sure if I even should throw him out there, but I believe Michael Walker has the uh, the benefit of facing Miami this week. And, and while he's been dreadful in recent performances, uh, in a limited week with that quality of a matchup, you have to assume he's uh, on a fair number of wires. Uh, so Michael Walker mm-hmm. is one option uh, that I, I could see myself going after. I know that the uh, guy who's going up against him in that Monday start is also a little interesting, but I believe that's who uh, Brian has, so I'll let him cover that in a little bit here. Um, 
the other name I, I put up here, just because I, I'm sure he's more owned, probably not as much of a streamer, but it's just, I, I just didn't feel comfortable just going with Michael Walker. As I think, you know, if Kevin Gaussman happens to be available, he's got a decent matchup and uh, is a decent talent uh, himself. So, you know, there, I think there's a couple options, but it, it's a bit of a slim Monday slate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's not a lot of options, but um, especially with teams uh, – I feel like a lot of teams shuffled their rotation for this coming week, uh, Angels being one of them. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be uh, Tyler Skaggs going on Tuesday, but they shuffled it and made um, basically uh, it uh, Felix Pena um, uh, being the main main guy on Tuesday. So now Tyler Skaggs uh, is bumped to the weekend. Uh, that's one thing I noticed. Uh, Brian, uh, who you got for Monday? Well, I um, I'm going to return back to the Marlins rotation. Um, <laughs> I think it seems like every time I'm on here, I like to talk about them, and I think one of it is just because yeah. of how ridiculous ridiculous they seemed at the beginning of the season. And uh, but the first guy that's going on Monday is Sandy Alcantara, and he's a guy probably out of the five that made the rotation in the beginning of the year was the one I was least excited about, and the reason why is because he really doesn't have uh, enough pitches to be a viable starter. He was a high prospect coming in and St. Louis um, gladly traded him away for um, Marcelo Zonia uh, in order to, um, because they didn't think he was ever going to develop into a um, frontline starter, let alone even a mid rotation starter because he struggled with his command as, as well as he just didn't have a third pitch. He's a, uh, you know, he's potentially 70 grade fastball, but really it's, um, you know, it's, fastball slider and that's it but now that being said those are two potential plus pitches so nothing to sneeze about but the fact of the matter is this year I felt like he's developed his slider uh I mean sorry his curveball uh, a little bit to be uh used a little bit um to offset his other pitches and he's also got a change up and his change up is actually a I believe above average pitch now major league pitch which helps him have a legitimate third pitch which is the difference between last year um, and previous years, even in the minors, is not being able to get very, very far through the lineup, many times through the lineup. The, the third pitch has allowed him to keep the pitchers honest and not sit on a fastball or a slider. So uh, with that being said, he's not going to – he should strike out a hell of a lot more people than he actually does. Uh, that's the one disappointing thing with him. He's only got about 40, you know, 46, uh, 50 strikeouts, I think, in 70 innings which is way below what you expect. And he does have 30 walks. So um, his whip is, you know, 1.35. But he has each of the last three uh, outings, he's lowered his ERA uh, with a couple of good outings in a row. And uh, even though they're playing St. Louis, who has a good, um, you know, has, has a good lineup, they are home in Miami. And any time I have a Marlins pitcher at home, is I think you have a chance, especially in a thin uh, day like Monday, to be able to um, get a competitive start, and uh, Alcantara had a couple of nice ones leading up to this, so I'm I'm uh, willing to throw him out this Monday in a, in a short plate. Yeah, he, he should be uh, an option for guys who are looking to stream, especially he's less than ten percent owned. A couple guys that I was looking at, uh, ones under twenty percent owned, uh, Jared Eckhoff. Um, he's facing Arizona, who's um, not 
not that great offensively. Uh, they put up some numbers recently, but um, it's it's at home in Philadelphia, which is a hitter's ballpark. But he's only walked 15 guys, 54 innings, so it's really hurt him as the the long ball. But he's three and three, um, 48 strikeouts, 54 innings. Uh, so if you want to roll Eckhoff out there, because Philly's a good team. So I should be able to maybe get him a win in this one. And um, the other guy, he's almost 15% owned. The guy who's going against uh, Gosman, uh, Joe Musgrove. Um, he hasn't gotten the strikeout numbers he has in the past. He's been walking a lot of guys. 19 walks and 17 in the third with a 4.680 RA. But uh, he, he should be able to handle the righties in the Atlanta lineup, even though Atlanta's really tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, I think Joe Musgrove and Eckhoff are a couple of options for Monday. Uh, Tuesday, who you got, Brian? All right, well, Tuesday, uh, I'm going to go with a guy that I never thought I would, only because I never thought I'd, I'd use a Baltimore Oriole for a streamer. But um, I've been looking and following John John Means over the last month or so. Been really impressed. Uh, young young lefty and pitching in the AL East. Um, he's getting um, you know deep lineup uh, nearly every day. And uh, despite all that, uh, in 61 innings, he's he still maintained a 2.67 ERA and a 1.07 WHIP. Uh, this week he's playing Toronto, which out of all the teams other than themselves probably has the easiest lineup, um, though they do have a couple of exciting young guys in there uh, that can hit. Um, but I, I do like the matchup at home against Toronto this week. One thing I do, uh, what I like about him is he, as, as, as you see about his whip, um, he doesn't let it, uh, allow a ton of base runners. He's actually got five wins and four losses. And I'm not a big fan of those stats, to be honest with you, because especially in, in, in fantasy, um, it doesn't really – dictate how well the pitcher is really pitching if you if your bullpen blows it or you you don't have enough hitters in your lineup. Uh, but the fact that he has five wins as a starter for Baltimore, that does say something to uh-huh. me and makes it so, someone that I, I've been keeping an eye out. 50 strikeouts to 16 walks is very good in the AL East when you have teams like um, the Red Sox and the Yankees that tend to um, make pitch, wait pitchers out and, and, and get the, uh, the, the pitch count up high. So it's been really uh, nice to see them. And a couple of weeks ago, he was like at 5 10% owned. He's up to about 40% owned across the board now. So he's getting pretty close to not being part of the streamer list anymore. But for this uh, this week, I like right. him on Tuesday um, as, as a kind of a, a oddball pick being the Baltimore pen. Um, and I guess that just about his repertoire, one reason why I think he's um, been successful is uh, his fastball. You know, his fastball is low 90s, uh, and but he's got a, a changeup. That's in the around 80 slider in the mid 80s and a curveball at 75. So um, he has a, he has a nice four pitch pitch mix and he doesn't um, and he does about 50 percent fastball. And he mixes the other ones up a little bit, about 25 percent change. Um, but the the thing uh-huh. is that all four of them have um, have enough difference in velocity that it, it really does tie hitters up and you can't sit on any any one of them because that you really don't know. Um, what's going to come, and and it really could uh, cause a lot of headaches for for timing. If you're trying to time something up, I think he mixes it in enough 
uh, those four pitches that is going to, to throw people off. And I, that might be part of his success um, so far, uh, so, uh, you know, this season, in his young season. But 60 innings um, for, the, for the Orioles in the, in the AL East, I, I'm, I'm becoming a believer. Yeah, especially against that Toronto Blue Jays lineup who have struggled uh, at times even with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. up to score runs. Um, who you got, Cole, for Tuesday? Cole? Unmute oh, me. Hiya. Cole? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. I disconnected at one yeah, no point, problem. so you had to unmute me again. Um, yeah, yeah so, uh, on that. Tuesday, yeah, on Tuesday, uh, the main matchup that I'm honestly for most of this weekday uh, trying to grasp at it if I can, and we talk about the AL Central all the time, but it's a Detroit at Kansas City matchup. Um, on, on Tuesday, that takes the, the shape of a Turnbull on the road against Kansas City and uh, Jake Junis. Um, so e- either side of that matchup, I think, it is intriguing if you have a, a chance to pick it up. Uh, Detroit's obviously not one of the better offenses, and uh, Junis uh, might not have the deepest repertoire, but he at least has the ability to, uh, you know, throw throw some sinker, some sinker slider uh, action. Um, and then Turnbull's also, uh, I think, an, a bit of an interesting option on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, not not too much on the players. It is more about uh, the matchup, uh, but that that matchup's right. one that I'm interested in pursuing on Tuesday. Yeah, definitely. I agree with uh, both of those. Uh, uh, actually, Junis was a guy I was looking at. Another guy to go to Hudson against uh, Miami. Miami's been scoring some runs recently, but it's at Miami, a bigger ballpark. Um, and I have no idea who's pitching for uh, Miami that day because uh, uh, Caleb Smith uh, landed on the DL or IL. Um, so Dakota Hudson, I think, is a good option uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals uh, against the Miami Marlins, uh, along with uh, both the Detroit uh, and Kansas City starters that Cole just mentioned. Uh, Cole, who do you have for Wednesday? Um, yeah, so like I said, uh, it's a little bit of a boring uh, go-to, but uh, I'll <laughs> just continue to uh, build off of that matchup because in the very uh, – the very next game, you have uh, two lefties uh, in Danny Duffy and Daniel Norris. Two Danny, two Danny lefties, uh, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> again, Casey's the home team. Detroit's on the road. Um, so you know, Nor- Norris uh, ha- used to have some uh, allure, some prospect allure uh, at one point. He- he's an interesting player who who has some uh, interesting strikeout upside, at least, even if we haven't seen him really come uh, to complete fruition, but. Uh, he's he's up against the the Kansas City Royals, which is obviously not uh, the greatest team. And then Danny Duffy has taken you know like similar uh, conversation. He's he's not the uh, you know the most most interesting or most exciting name uh, to get you know all hyped up about. Um, but at the same time, uh, not not the hardest matchup. So if you can manage to get him, uh, you know he he might be able to uh, make that matchup worth your while. Yeah, definitely. Uh, who you got, Brian, for uh, Wednesday? All right. So on Wednesday, um, going with another youngster, I got 
uh, Zach Susak for the Cleveland Indians. And um, this is uh, another guy that is a uh, made his debut this, this season. Um, he's kind of uh, progressed nicely through the minors. This is only his third season of pro ball, but, um, you know, basically has done two levels every year and working his way up. Um, and uh, the Indians have plugged him right in, and he's been very effective so far. Again, he's not a fireballer. He doesn't have a ton of strikeouts and probably won't get a ton of strikeouts. But he does have the command that you're looking for. And especially a lot of times when you're talking about streamers, you're looking to try to get five or six innings of of depth uh, production in there. And the fact that he doesn't uh, walk, and he's only got three walks on the season so far in 19 and a third innings, um, was running out of 186 uh, ERA and uh, and .088 whip. So those are all good numbers. Of course, he's only had a couple of uh, starts so far, but so far, so good. I like what I've seen from him so far, and he plays to his strengths. Um, he is—he's uh, another guy. He's got—he's uh, got, he's got four pitch, pitch mix um, with a four-seamer uh, that runs uh, around 94, uh, changeup um, around 85 miles an hour, slider around 84, and a curveball around 79. And um, after his uh, fastball, which is four-seamer, which he throws over 50% of the time, he has a nice mix between the changeup and slider. Um, that, um, that he splits about evenly with the curveball mixed in from here to there. So, so far, he's been throwing them all enough. I think that he's, uh, he's been effective. Eventually, they're going to have enough tape on him that he's going to have to make some adjustments. But for now, um, mm-hmm. I think he's, uh, he's still a good start. Um, now, he's playing against the, the Reds, who, who does have potential to get some uh, hits, but he is, uh, he is at home. So, that's, that's nice, too. He's not going to be playing in the band box in Cincinnati. So, uh, I like him for another uh, for another week. He's uh, less than forty percent owned, but he is again. He's jumping up there pretty quick too, because all his outings so far have been uh, very nice. So um, again, uh, not much in the strikeout range, but a control guy, command guy, and you, you like that as a as a youngster because he has the potential to give his team uh, a chance to win every time out there. I don't know if it's the police act name that's made him. Already almost 40% owned uh, since his uncle's uh, Dan Plesak. I don't know if Dan, uh, his, his uncle has really helped him, like, to come into his own. But, yeah, he looks he looks pretty good so far in his uh, three or four starts that he's had. Um, so he, he's someone to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, the guy that I was looking at for Wednesday, uh, Merrill Kelly, I feel like I've mentioned him a few times, but he had a nice start uh a couple starts ago, he struck out 12, went, I think, seven innings. He's playing at Philadelphia, which is a hitter's ballpark, but he's 6-6 six and six, uh, on the season with a air rate a little above four. Uh, the walks are a little high with 25 and 74 and two-thirds innings. But Merrill Kelly should be a guy uh, that people should go out and get. I'm surprised he's only at 9% owned. Um, but that's who I have for Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, I know it's a uh, very uh, low slate on Thursday, but uh, who you got for Thursday, Brian? All right. Well, Thursday, I'm going to keep the trend going uh, with an, another youngster, Eric Fetty uh, from the Washington Nationals against the uh, Arizona okay. Diamondbacks. Now, of course, you have um, that he's up, going to be up against that cranky, uh, so that's going to be a tough matchup. But again. Not necessarily looking at, at a win as much as being competitive in a, in a short slate. 
Um, now, the reason why I like talking about him is he's a guy that I remember when he was drafted because he's somebody that I wrote about at the time and really liked him as a potential, and he has kind of not lived up to that thus far. Um, and he kept going, he's been going back and forth uh, whether or not he's going to be a bullpen guy or a starter, and then they end up putting him in the bullpen, and then after they finish the year, and then he decides to stretch him back out the next year and have him as a starter. And then this year, they, in, in spring training, they thought they, oh, he's going to be a starter, but then um, they went and got uh, Corbin and some other um, some pitchers, and now they had too many starting pitchers and decided to put him back in the bullpen, and it goes on and on and on. But due to um, the variety of injuries that they've uh, the Nationals have faced this year, uh, they've brought Fetty back up, and he is starting now. And he's, less, he's about 5% owned. Um, but so far, since he's been in the rotation, I've been very happy with, uh, with his production. I do have him on a dynasty team. And I was, uh, the first his start, I, just, I didn't activate him because I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Uh, but the, um, but he's, he's, he's played really well. I pitched really well. And I think one of the main reasons for the change is that he, he's kind of abandoned his curveball, and he's spent more time developing a slider. And I think that they um, – because he, he had so many pitches that were, I think, too close to the curveball. He, he doesn't have a lot of different pitches. He, he has a four-seamer, mm. but he doesn't, like, that he doesn't throw that much. He has a two-seamer uh, uh, thinking fastball that he throws about 50% of the time that's in the low 90s. That's his, kind of, that's his best pitch. Excuse me. But um, the, he has um, – he's been throwing his slider almost 25% of the time, which comes in – in the high 70s. So it's almost a 15 um, mile per hour difference. And it's so much different than his other pitches. Cause he does, he still throws a cutter and a changeup from time to time that are in the mid mid eighties. And I think the curveball was almost redundant and it wasn't a great pitch. And by getting rid of that and focusing on a slider, I think it helped him a lot. And even though he's still not striking out a ton of people, only 20 and 31 innings, um, he's, he's been productive. He does have 1.21 whip, which is not horrible. And uh, but his ERA is 2.93. Uh, he's been competitive and kind of a pleasant surprise. And, and um, let's, I, I don't want to compare him because I don't uh, I'm exactly to this, but look, Lucas Giolito, I've been talking for him for years because he was a hot prospect. He, uh-huh. Him and Fetty were, were kind of 1A, 1B um, in the Nationals uh, farm system as far as pitchers coming up. And then they, they moved uh, Giolito out, and Giolito has been bad the last couple of years in Chicago and they almost put him in the bullpen and gave up on him. And guess what? This year he made some changes um, and, um, and, and abandoned the pitch and started developing another pitch. And now all of a sudden over the last two months, he's looked like a, a Cy Young candidate. I'm not saying that he's going to be that, but I think that we need to be patient because some of these guys don't develop right away and uh, you have to kind of wait it out and let them kind of grow. And, and you have to have good, um, uh, pitching instructors that can kind of uh, tinker a little bit and, and hope that they respond to that. And Giolito did, and now he is a stud, and now I regret trading him in one of my dynasty leagues. Even though I got some good players in return, uh, now I'm kicking myself because he's tearing it up. Um, Fetty is a guy that yeah. I'm looking to hopefully turn the corner maybe this year, and I don't think he's going to put um, little Geo type numbers up yet, but he's a guy that I think could follow in the footsteps. He's got enough pitches and um, to, to really keep guys um, uh, on their toes, and I think once that he develops that slider to be a true put-out pitch, and he can, he's going, the K's are going to start coming. 
because right now that's the one thing that I think is stopping them from, from turning the corner. But I like them for this week um, on a Thursday, again, on a, on a short slate, um, despite Pitchman's Greggy. I think some, he may um, sometimes when you have these young guys pitch against these uh, veteran uh, Cy Young kind of guys, it, it can get them to step up, and they know they have to pitch. Um, they have to stay with him like pitch for pitch in order to give the team a chance. And I just uh, interested to see how he does this week in this, in this uh, setting. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, that's he's definitely a great option. Um, Thursday, uh, who you got, Cole? Well, first off, I'd just like to back up uh, Brian's point. Uh, I, I think uh, between a lot of the people that we've had uh, off and on, I think me and Brian might think the most similarly. Uh, when it when it comes to these prospects, you know, uh, I know I didn't put out a list uh, before the show was starting, but uh, I don't look at Brian's when I when I make mine just to make sure that I don't, you know, get get that influence. And uh, you know, the, the more uh, uh, the, there were a couple guys that I would look through, and then you know, Fatty was one of them. Uh, one of the guys that we're going to come up soon to is going to be one of them. Um, for me, you know, uh, I mostly just have the completion of of the three peat here. Um, I know it's a little bit of a short. Uh, a short answer, but uh, given the fact that again this is a short week on Thursday, and then two of the worst offenses, two of the offenses I stream against the most, uh, are up against each other. Uh, Homer Bailey. Now you're not likely to get Matt Boyd, but uh, Homer Bailey uh, isn't the worst start against Detroit. You know, Detroit hasn't been a, a very good offense so far this year, or uh, just in general, and, and doesn't expect to be either. So um, that, that's the way I would I would probably lean in that matchup. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, he He's only 1% owned, too, so he should be available in most leagues um, as long as uh, someone doesn't scoop him before you do. Um, now, uh, obviously, it's a very uh, small slate of games, but uh, I think uh, I, he should be he, – he was pitching well before his injury, uh, Michael Pineda. Um, he's he's 30 years old, and he's four and three with a five ERA, um, which is obviously uh, pretty high. Um, but he's facing Seattle. Uh, Seattle doesn't have Jay Bruce anymore, and um, Jay Bruce probably would have been a thorn in the side for Pineda. But uh, he might, uh, especially it's at home. Uh, Minnesota has that juggernaut of an offense. Um, I, I think uh, Michael Pineda might be a a good start if you're looking for a win and maybe five or six decent innings. Um, Cole, who you got on Friday? Uh, so Friday, um, I, I, I end up also attacking Detroit, but for the first time uh, it changes up the matchup a little bit on, on what for many teams to be a travel day on Thursday. Um, Adam Plutko of the Cleveland Indians going up against Detroit. You know, th- this is another matchup that I'm not, not too shy from. I think there's quite a few matchups in the AL Central, uh, both uh, with because of the divisional matchups in the Detroit-Kansas City, Cleveland-Detroit, um, and then, you know, not one of the sides, but Minnesota does play Kansas City, and the reason I bring that up is because, uh, you know, if there's anyone you can find on Minnesota, they have an entire week of Seattle and Kansas City who are two offenses – you know, uh, even the good numbers from Seattle have mostly come from the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. So that's an offense that's been uh, right. reeling for a while now. Um, so Adam Plutko, Cleveland Indians, uh, he'll be up against 
the Detroit Tigers, uh, if my sheet is right for Friday. So um, that that's the uh, option that I have is the most intriguing for me on that day uh, from the streaming class. Definitely, yeah. The, he 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 pitched well his uh, last start. Uh, I believe that was yesterday against the Yankees. He uh, looks pretty good as well. Um, who you got for Friday, Brian? I'm going to go back to the Marlins, and I got Trevor Richards. So not not the uh, young guy per se that like the, some of the other guys um, that we've been talking about recently. Um, however, I think he's been a nice um, anchor of this uh, of this Marlins staff. And what I mean by that is uh, some, some of these other guys. This is his first year pitching, and um, although he's not for for um, a veteran in any means, 2018 was his first full season in the pros. I think he's been able to um, really help solidify the um, uh, some of those those young guys. Like I just did this last year, guys. This is you know this is how we go about preparing each, each for each start. And um, and then I think last time I was on, we I actually talked about him too, and he actually backed me up and had a great uh, outing. So I'm bringing him up again. I uh, just love his his changeup. Um, I think we talked about it last time. He's got one of the best changeups um, in the entire league, and uh, he throws it almost 40% of the time, and which is equal to his four seamer. Um, but he also does mix in a cutter and a curveball from time to time there to keep it up. But if he can throw his changeup 40% of the time, and still go out there and only have a 1.19 uh, whip and a 3.31 ERA. Um, I think he's doing something right. Uh-huh. And he's pitching this week against the Pirates. Um, uh, Brault, I believe, is his opponent. And the Pirates, are, you know, have been, um, you know, have been decent this year. But I just feel like um, the Marlins are, are showing a little bit this year that they've been uh, the better than I think a lot of people gave them credit for. And I mean, they haven't been great, but there's been there's been flashes of that offense being decent, and there's been some flashes of the, these young pitchers showing that they they have something. And I I don't think that you can you can um, take away from the value of people being brought up together like this. You have four or five pitchers that are relatively young, all kind of coming in and finding their own together. I think that if the Marlins are able to keep this group together, it could be a special group. You know, especially if some of them uh, get their uh, command under control. So that's really been the biggest issue with the with the Marlins in general. However. Um, Richards hasn't been one of those guys to, per se, uh, but it's just one of those things that could be really special rotation going forward with, with these guys if they are able to keep the band together and not trade them um, as soon as they're ready to, to get paid. Uh, but this, this guy's been steady. He doesn't strike out a ton, but he, he will get you a decent amount of strikeouts. He's in over 22%, and he hovers right around a 10% walk rate. I'd like to get, see him get down a little bit uh, below that. And he doesn't let up a few more home runs than I would like. And um, that, you know, he's got 10 already for the year. So those type of things are keeping him away from really being um, a guy that's going to be owned a lot more in the league because he's only about 20, 25% owned in most, in most uh, formats. However, I think that um, he's got some potential this week against Pittsburgh. He's had a couple of nice outings going forward. And the Marlins pitchers uh, for a lot of uh, mainstream leagues, uh, fall through the cracks because no one thinks, you know, there's much value coming out of Miami. But for the savvy owner, I think to keep an eye on these guys on, on Friday, Richards might be a nice uh, sneaky start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
uh, the guy I was looking at um, has actually been a totally different pitcher uh, since being recalled. Uh, Nick Pavetta of the Philadelphia Phillies, he uh, tossed a complete game against the Reds on sat, uh, yesterday. He allowed six hits, uh, full striking out six. Uh, and the start before he we went six innings, uh, uh, six scoreless innings, while striking out nine. Um, uh, I forget who that was against, but um, he uh, it was against it was actually against the Dodgers. Uh, so a, a good offense um, in the Dodgers. Uh, he's facing Atlanta at Atlanta, so uh, it might be a tough matchup for him. But I think he's a guy you need you can pick up, and then. Uh, Ride for the long haul. Uh, and one more guy, uh, Chris Bassett. Uh, he he's been pretty productive this season. Three and two with a 3.57. He's facing Seattle, so another team that's um, most of their offensive numbers came early in the season. And now they're down JJ uh, uh, down uh, Jay Bruce. So uh, uh, you can do what you want with uh, uh, that matchup. Uh, going forward. Uh, Saturday, who you got, Brian? Okay, well, Saturday, um, this this is an interesting one. Um, Houston Astros have um, converted Framber Valdez into a starter, and he's had, he yep. was, um, I mean, I should say, convert, strong word, um, but he did have 15 games um or 14 games prior to this last appearance when he started. It was the first start of the year. So he had pitched, um, had some significant um, uh, innings so far this season in out of command of the bullpen, and uh, he had his first start, and it was actually a pretty good start, which is why I believe they're giving him another one uh, coming up here on Saturday uh, against the uh, Toronto. This is the second time we're hitting up Toronto. Um, and and he's pitching up against Clayton Richard, who is a veteran, but doesn't have much in the way of stuff. And I think that Houston should put up, um, you know, a fair amount of points that really Valdez is just going to be asked to pitch yeah. five innings and, and, and just to kind of get through the lineup twice. With only 15% owned, though, I think uh, you could do a lot worse. He is a, he is a strikeout pitcher um, with command issues. It seems like I'm repeating myself a lot with that. His ERA this season right. is pretty low at 273, but it's also partly because he's been coming out of the bullpen. Um, though he did have a have a nice start this last time out. What I what what I question and why long term I'm not sure he's going to make it as a starter. This really only has um, he technically has three pitches, but he really only throws he only has two pitches. He has a fastball, curveball. Um, he, he throws a change less than five percent of the time. Uh, though he does have both a four seamer uh, and a two seamer. Um, now his curveballs is pretty decent. There's a, there's about a 13, 14 mile per hour difference between his fastball and his and his curveball. Um, so it is it is a good out pitch. Uh, that that's one reason why I thought that they had spent a lot of time with him in the bullpen because I think he could be dominant out of the pen in, in high leverage situations. Yeah. I don't know about closer per se. Honestly, I don't. I think the closer um, in general might be kind of going away for most teams when you're just going to have your your um, best pitcher is going to come in the seventh, eighth, and ninth to face the heart of the order, depending on when um, you know when that comes around. But he's the type of guy that could be that dominant end of the end of the game pitcher. Uh, and I still think that down the road that was, will probably be where he where he settles in. But for now, um, 
I think uh, he's an interesting spot start for Saturday with that uh, ability. Uh, knowing he's only going to go five innings, um, he could probably get a couple strikeouts and, uh, you know, against the Toronto lineup again, has a lot of young guys in it that do strike out a lot. Mm-hmm. So he, well, although he hasn't struck out a ton this year, he, I mean, he's actually uh, less than eight strikeouts per nine. Uh, but at the same time, I think he does have a good enough fastball that he's done in, in the in the um, curve to offset it that he could start developing the strikeout, uh, especially if he starts pitching as a starter and kind of changes his approach to um, the, the hitters. I think he can be a little bit more selective when when he uh, when he throws that curveball, and uh, you'll see it as a true out pitch coming up. So uh, he's a he's a guy I like to yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. I actually picked him up in a, a pretty deep league uh, when I saw he uh, was going to start, and he, he actually gave me some uh, positive points. So I'm ha- I'm pretty happy with him, and I'll keep him until he's uh, sent back down or used in a different role, uh, most likely, uh, unless they like rely on him as a closer, uh, as you said. Uh, Cole, who you got on uh, Saturday? Yeah, so um oh th- this was the guy by the way I was mentioning earlier that that I had started to write down and then realized it was on Brian's list. Uh, Valdez I think is a a pretty good streaming option uh for today yeah. or for Saturday rather for this day that we're talking about. Um the other one that I came up with uh and it's a little it's a little bit off because it's not a very well-known name and it's not one of my traditional uh, go against but um, Taylor Clark at Washington. Um, Clark's numbers aren't overall impressive, but when I looked at his last four starts, the only one I believe that was actually that bad uh, was a start in Colorado. So, you know, as many excuses as you need for that one. Right. Uh, so Taylor Clark is a guy, um, you know, not he's not in a good situation or a great situation necessarily, but Washington has struggled on offense uh, at times and, and at certain players going kind of over. Uh, in that lineup. So uh, Taylor Clark's in, in a position where I think he could be a, a solid streaming matchup. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, especially, uh, I believe he's only uh, uh, owned in 1% of leagues. So if you can find him, might as well uh, stream him, especially against that Washington Nationals lineup, which is, uh, is bound to go, go through some hiccups. A uh, couple options on my end. Uh, you got Joe Musgrove. Uh, I mentioned him earlier, but he's going against Miami in Miami. So you got the pitching match uh, or the the hitters, uh, the pitching pitchers ballpark. Um, and uh, another guy, uh, CC Sabathia, uh, came off the injury list uh, about like a week and a half ago. Uh, he's he still pitches well, and he's facing a White Sox lineup that might be able to uh, hit him a little, but uh, they've struggled at times as well. Uh, he might be able to pick up some strikeouts for you uh, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, all right, Cole, let's finish up the streamers. Uh, who you got for Sunday? Uh, so for Sunday, I went with the same matchup, only this time I was able to get the, my guy. Uh, just instead of Valdez, it's uh, Wade Miley. Wade Miley's not uh, a, okay. a player that I'm ever excited to be streaming. Uh, but he's a left-hander who plays uh, – yeah, I mean, he's a left-hander who plays on a pretty good team uh, and has done a lot better in the last few years uh, than, you know, in, in the years before it uh, of being at least a decent pitcher uh, pretty regularly. Um, so, 
you know, uh, I, I think Wade Miley is a guy that he goes out there. He uh, if he's on, he'll be able to limit fly balls, and if you're able to limit fly balls, uh, you at least I think have a better chance uh, of avoiding the, the damaging plays against you. And I think those are the ones that uh, more often than not are, are going to get you hurt. So yeah, I, I think Wade Miley has a chance to uh, against the Toronto team that isn't uh, too great offensively. I think he has a chance of avoiding the few damaging plays. Uh, and putting a pretty solid performance there. Definitely. Uh, uh, he's always a good option, especially against a weaker uh, lineup like Toronto. Uh, Brian, who, who do you have for Sunday? Well, you mentioned him uh, earlier uh, for potential on Tuesday, but um, I think it was just on passing. But Dakota Hudson, the Cardinals, um, he's a uh, – this is his first full season um, – and it was kind of he was kind of a surprise to make the rotation coming out of camp this year. As last year he did pitch um, in the back half of the season completely out of the bullpen, and he was very productive that way. And you heard the early reports in spring saying um, that they were going to keep him in the bullpen because he possibly high leverage situations because he performed pretty well last year. Well, that that changed quickly as um, you know between. Um, you know, Wayne Wright and Waka were in 100, 100%, and just, uh, their, their rotation just wasn't as deep as, as maybe they hoped it would be. Uh, he broke camp as a fifth starter and has somehow maintained it throughout the season. And um, he's, he's an interesting guy. I, 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 again, he's another guy I remember writing up on when he got drafted uh, back in, in 2016. He was a late first-round pick. I believe it was a competitive bounce or – or um, compensation uh, pick. Uh, but I really remember liking him because he had a very electric fastball. And um, although in, in um, college he really couldn't hit the broad side of the barn, he did have um, a tight uh, slider and, and, a, a, and a cutter that, that moved well um, opposite his four-seamer. So I thought that it was going to be something that perhaps uh, he could develop uh, into a frontline starter if he indeed – work on his command. Well, right now, fastball is probably still, I would say, about a 70 grade, uh, and his slider and cutter are probably above average around 55, but his command is still questionable. Um, 31 walks in 65 innings is not going to do it uh, long term, uh, but, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, in a streaming situation, he has been productive. He goes out there seemingly every five days and gives his team a chance to win. ERA is a 3.7. Uh, you know, he, he's got about 45 Ks. So right now he's not striking out a ton, but and he's walking too many. But he's been consistent in as far as is giving you um, that six innings of pitching almost every time out, giving the Cardinals a chance. And I believe he's got the tools to really develop into a, a strikeout artist. Again, he's a guy that has quite a few pitches in his repertoire. He – he he. Uh, his best pitch is going to be his um, his two seamer, which he throws almost 50 percent of the time. He does have a four seamer too that has another mile per hour tick in the mid in the mid uh, 90s, but that's more of a um, change of pace pitch, so to speak. So his main off pitch off that off that uh, two seamer is actually a cutter, uh, which is uh, going to have a little bit more movement than that than that. Um, uh, two-seamer. He throws that about 25% of the time, and uh, he, but he also mixes in a slider and a changeup. So in, in all, he can give you six different looks, which I think that if he can start 
throwing his two-seamer and his, and his cutter with com- any kind of command, you're going to see that strikeout um, numbers raise up, and you're going to see that walk uh, low, lower, and he has the potential to stay in the, lo- in the rotation if he can just uh, you know, work on that command just a little bit. Uh, as far as while we are talking about streamers, I just throw him out there on a Sunday against the Mets. Um, it is at uh, it is in New York uh, against Vargas, and Vargas has been somewhat solid this year. Um, maybe he's he's might not be another bad idea to streamer actually. But for the um, for th- this particular case, I just um, you know I like to focus on some of these young guys and what they bring to the table. And when you're coming up a Sunday and you've got to throw somebody out there to get your innings. Um, the last day of the scoring period, um, he, he might be a good guy to roll the dice on, especially on a Mets lineup that's so much struggling right now. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I mentioned Dakota Hudson earlier as well, and uh, uh, that's a good matchup. Uh, we mentioned this guy earlier as well, uh, Spencer Turnbull uh, for the Detroit Tigers. He's going up against Cleveland, and Cleveland offense is not – what it's been in the past, and uh, Turnbull uh, has a nice little matchup uh, against them, especially being from the right-handed side of the rubber. Uh, I, I I feel like uh, Turnbull should uh, get a decent chance to go at least six innings and maybe even get a win uh, against the Cleveland Indians on a Sunday. Uh, so we'll move on now. Uh, uh, since the draft happened this past week, uh, Beach uh, – took a division and uh, we're grabbing a couple people uh, who were drafted this past week. We'll, we'll start with Brian since you're the draft expert, uh, so to speak. Uh, we'll start with you. Uh, and you have the AL and the uh, NL East. So if you want to talk about a few players from each of those divisions, go ahead. All right. Um, so just to kind of a quick overview, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but um, just the takeaways from this draft, it was um, I found it was a very top-heavy draft this year. You had three, four guys at the top that were that were highly, highly rated uh, blue chippers, um, but not a whole lot after that. And in the last two two drafts, it was okay because there was a lot of depth in there. So teams could still stock up on good prospects, and I just feel like in general. This, this draft um, this year wasn't as deep, um, perhaps, as uh, the ones in the last few years. There's a lot of pot, potential blue chippers being drafted and not really, probably going to be signable because they were drafted in the later rounds. There's a lot of guys, I, I believe, that are going to go back to school um, and they're going to be tough to sign. Uh, another thing I noticed is that uh, there was a lack of pitchers taken early on. I believe the Reds took the first mm-hmm. one around seven or eight. Um, and that's surprising. I mean, although, you know, you do usually get a lot of hitters off the board early, you usually have that one or two, that ace material, like Casey Mize, uh, that, that, that usually in the, uh, you have that, that one or two pitchers are in the top five and then you get a run of hitters before you get to the pitchers again. Um, there was none in the top five, but, uh, you know, I think it gives you an, um, an idea of where teams are going right now because, um, they really need to get those those hitters um, that are going to develop and be cornerstones of the lineup, and it's really important for them to to pick well in that first pit. And a lot of the uh, um, a lot of the the pitchers that could have been early first rounders were ones that that were issues with signability, 
and therefore they just uh-huh. either passed up on him or waited until later on to take a uh, take a gamble on him. And because of that, you saw a lot more college players taking in the first the first few rounds, which is unusual. Usually the the blue chip pl- uh, prep guys are the ones that are taken early because those are the ones that that uh, you know you have that more feeling to um, because they're so young and and schoolsy and get your hands on them and you have so much time to work with them um, because they're only 18 years old. Uh, but I, I I saw there was a lot more college players taken and and teams are are going more for polished players that can move into the system quickly, especially the 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 teams, the organizations that have um, that have uh, weak farm systems. They're trying to to kind of rebuild it quickly and get some guys up that can make an impact. Um, like for instance, uh, the Diamondbacks had seven picks in the first day, which is crazy uh, with all the competitive balance picks and, um, and and compensation picks for losing free agents. They had seven guys, and then they, although they took one or two um, high school guys, most of them were college guys that they picked, and that they are just trying to, to inject some some fast moving guys in that system to to work their way up to Arizona quickly. And as I mentioned in the um, in the, in the intro, I think this this uh, draft is going to be tough. They're really great to see how teams did. I mean, in baseball in general, it really has it really takes years to get a good idea of how the draft class really really went. Unlike football, where after the first season you can kind of see how well the rookies did because the best ones played and played well. Uh, and this, um, it could be five years before you have a real idea if a team bombed or or killed it in their draft. But in this year, this year right. I think is even um, going to be tougher because so many guys are going to go back to school, and teams that got a great list of players are going to find two or three of their top guys going to go back to school and or or JUCO um, so that they can get um, a better uh, spot bonus when they do come out later, and um, that's going to be something to to keep an eye out going forward. Uh, so with all that being said, the um, fortunately. The uh, part of the AL East, I got to, I'm going to, get to talk about the number one pick in the draft, uh, Adley Rauschman, the catcher from Oregon State. Um, he was the consensus 1-1, I think, pretty much in everybody's board. The guy killed it last year in a uh, bad 427 with a 584 on-base percentage, uh, 16 home runs, 55 RBIs, 69 walks, 36 strikeouts. Um, it, it, he, he killed it, and he was a catcher. He's a switch hitter. He's got like an 80, uh, I'm sorry, he has a 60 grade hit and power tool as well as arm and field. So he's not just a one dimensional catcher. He is a true um, a two-way uh, player as a catcher with power, with hit. And he's definitely a guy that projects long-term as a catcher. He's kind of like um, the last guy, ironically, drafted by the Orioles that he will remind him of is Matt, Matt Wieters. Um, but uh, because Wieters is a was a switch hitter as well with uh, with power, but um, Rousman is a much better um, hitter, pure hitter than than uh, than Wieters was, and uh, he should have a pretty quick path uh, to the to the show because I believe that he should move quickly um, and they have no reason to hold him up because he is a, he is um, you know a college uh, player so he's not young he's got no red flags. He's got um, that innate uh, leadership qualities that you'd want in a cornerstone uh, type player. So they want to get him up there and get him in there um, to get the, the, the young players already in the Orioles 25-man um, roster 
and get them tied in. He could make an impact like Buster Posey did if the Giants came up and be the type of guy that becomes a leader of the team and really can be rallied around. Yeah. And, and Baltimore needs that badly. Um, but I can't um, uh, emphasize enough how how much of the full package this guy is, which is very rare as, as a catcher. And I'm pretty sure the only way that he wouldn't have been the one number one overall pick is if um, if Baltimore wanted to play games and pick somebody maybe you know a little bit lower than they could have signed for under slot bonus and then tried to reach in other places and get guys. But you don't pass up a a generational type player, especially at the catcher position, which is you know frankly the hardest position to fill with a quality with a quality player that can both hit and and um, and work with pitchers. So um, kudos for for um, Baltimore for sticking their guns and taking him and not playing games. And I think he will pay off for them in short order for them. Um, moving on, I want to move over to the NL East. I have, because uh, we're talking about hitters. Um, my uh, One of my favorite prep hitters in the draft was Brett Batty, who was drafted by the uh, New York Mets. And he, he was drafted as a third baseman. So I don't know that he'll stay like that. He's, he's an okay defender does have a cannon for an arm, which is why he's been playing third base. Um, but he may end up playing first base in the long run um, or, or D8 for that matter because he profiles more of, of just a, a stud hitter more than a, a, a defender. But um, I believe he's a top all-around prep hitter in the draft. Um, he has a uh, – he's probably a borderline plus hit, but he does have a high power grade, already a 55 grade, which is excellent as a, as a high schooler, as a prep hitter coming out. Um, he has a, a sweet left-hand swing, an advanced approach to the plate. Uh, to the plate, he doesn't strike. He doesn't chase pitches out of the strike zone. He's got quick bat speed with strength, and and um, you're gonna love the launch angle that he already has. Uh, he has the raw power, but he doesn't sell out for that power. He's a he's a guy that will go with what's given to him, which is kind of ties into that approach of not chasing pitches out of the strike zone. Um, I think he could stay at the hot corner um, throughout his career, but, um, you, know, you know, they may change their mind. If he struggles at all, they may decide to move him to someplace where he can focus on um, his bat. And honestly, uh, his, his, um, his hitting profile reminds me a lot of the current first baseman for the, the Mets, that's Pete Alonzo. I really believe that his profile, his hitting profile is very similar to that. Um, and he could really, um, you know, be a nice if he could stay at third base. It'd be nice to have the two ends of of their of their um, infield uh, be that good at hitting, and um, it would be an, a nice combo to have going down the line. The only red flag you have on him is the fact that he is uh, 19 years old. He'll actually be 20 this come, upcoming season, um, and uh, that's that's old for a, for a high school uh, um, player. So the, the red flag is that a lot of his competition were much younger than him. So because of that, you always, on the back of your mind, wonder how good is he really. But everybody believes his tools are good enough that he's going to be still be excellent. Um, but I think you're going to see them be a little bit cautious in the first, um, yeah, at the beginning, just to make as, and get him to a level where he's playing against people his age and his peers and see how he does, and if he, and he continues to hit as well as they believe he will, then they'll probably start moving him up quickly after that. So um, that was uh, the Mets uh, pick at number 12. Um, 
now I've got two more guys, two pitchers, going to move over to the um, um, to the Washington Nationals to pick Jack, Jackson Rutledge. Uh, he was a uh, he's a right-handed pitcher out of a uh, junior college in Texas. Uh, they picked him at um, number 17 overall. I think he could have been a top 10 um, selection if he had a little bit more uh, command. Uh, but he um, he did struggle a little bit with his mechanics, and I'll talk about that in a second. But what I love about that is that the uh, the Nationals are t- you know took a you know risk. He was there at 17. He has a 70 grade fastball, and he's a type of guy that could be you know come in pretty quickly uh, and be um, very effective and blow people away. Uh, could be a real nice uh, uh, deal for them at 17. So let me his basic uh, draft profile. You have he has a um, four seamer that has a nice rise in the top of the zone. He also throws a two seamer that sinks to the bottom of the zone. And he has great stamina, which is awesome because when he maintains his velocity throughout the game, um, he, he combines that fastball with a with a high 80s wipeout slider, which is also a plus pitch, uh, but also has a decent curveball that, that comes in, in in the low 80s. So he's got um, he's got a lot of uh, that his slider is high 80s. He's got you know uh, mid 90s fastballs. So he's got a lot of different uh, changes in in speed between those pitches. So here's the problem. Here's why he wasn't a top 10 pitch. Here's why he was in Juco. Um, he's got command issues. The reason he has command issues is because he's huge. He's 6'8", 240 pounds. Um, he, could, he could possibly reach triple digits to that fastball. The problem is being so tall, um, tall pitchers tend to have problems with their mechanics. And it's very difficult to repeat the delivery when you're, that, when you're that tall and lanky. Even though he's 240 pounds and he's not Lanky in a traditional sense, he's tall, and that um, and, and finding that slot time after time is very difficult. This led to um, not only control but command issues, and that is one thing that the national staff is going to have to really work on in order to see him be really effective at the major league level. He does have a changeup, um, but it's pretty bad right now. If he can develop that, then and into a fourth pitch, then I think he's going to be a possible. Um, you know, first-tier, second-tier starter, definitely like a top three in the rotation type of starter if he can get that command in order and develop that changeup. Um, otherwise, um, you know, the, again, the red flag with him is it's difficult for him to repeat that delivery, and if he doesn't figure that out, he's probably going to end up moving to the, to the pen. But because of how big he is and because of his – he has um, a couple-plus pitches, two to three-plus pitches, he could be dominant coming out of the pen in late, late innings. But a guy that you invest the first round pick this high in, you know the Nationals want him to be mm-hmm. a starter, and that would be the ideal situation if uh, if they could um, if they could work on that. So, and there is a chance, outside chance, that he could not sign and go to Kentucky. He did. He was originally went to Arkansas, didn't make postseason roster the first year, and he got pissed off and he transferred to a JUCO in Texas. Um, now he now he has a commitment to Kentucky. That he, but I think that if they give him slightly above slot um, at 17, maybe give him somewhere around like um, you know 14, 15 uh, uh, slot uh, bonus, I think you'll you'll get him, and uh, he could be a potential stud in the making if they can get that um that that uh mechanic taken care of. And my last guy did um I want to do a a a prep arm and a and a college arm just like I did with the hitters. This guy, I dropped yeah. a little bit further down the list. 
Uh, J.J. Goss, the right-handed pitcher out of uh, high school in Texas, the Tampa Bay Rays picked him at 136, so he was a competitive balance pick. And, you know, there were, there, were, there were other prep arms that are better than him, but I like this guy, and I like the fact that he got drafted by the Rays because the Rays have been exceptional at developing young pitchers, taking their time, and getting the most out of them. You can see, like, it seems like every guy that comes up for the Rays is, is developing uh, into a great pitcher. Um, he's another guy that's tall and lanky. Um, he's got a, a, mid, a mid-90s four-seamer. Uh, but that still sits in the, in, in the low 90s. He already has a six-degree slider, which is – and he, the reason why I wanted to focus on him is because arguably he has the best breaking pitch in the prep draft class, which means that even though there might be some pitchers that have higher ceiling, I think he's got the best breaking ball in the class. Um, he already has a six-degree on it. And um, he also has and, – and this slider has a very late bite in the low, in the low 80s, and so it has a 12 to 15-mile-an-hour pitch uh, a mile per hour difference between his four-seamer and his slider, so it really can keep people off guard. He does have a ch- throw change-up, too. Um, it's an, probably a major league average uh, pitch, but if he has two-plus pitches in his four-seamer and his slider, if he has one more pitch that's the least average, he has he has a great shot of being a middle-of-the-rotation guy, like I said, with the other guy, two to second, no, number two, number three slot in the rotation. He can definitely has a chance to do that. I like him because he's very aggressive. He throws strikes. He has a repeatable delivery. And he's very advanced um, for, as command for a prep arm. And I think a lot of that has to do with his, his approach of, of being aggressive on throwing strikes. You do that, you can repeat your delivery. You have a real chance to success. Um, he is young, coming out of high school, so he will need some time to develop. But the Rays don't push their guys, and they're great at developing pitchers. So I see him as some guy that could be sneaky uh, in dynasty leagues. Uh, he's not going to be on a lot of people's radar right now, but if you're in, in the type of dynasty leagues that do um, uh, drafts right after the major league draft, he's a guy that you might want to target uh, because I think he's going to be a, a starting pitcher in this league. And once he fills out his frame and adds a little bit of strength, that you know that third um, man in the rotation could bump up to a first or a second with the tools he has. Yeah, uh, all those guys are uh, great. I'll go into my guys now, and then uh, uh, we'll finish off with Cole. Um, I'm, I, I picked a few guys from the AL and NL West. Uh, mine are mostly first-round guys. Uh, my first is uh, C.J. Abrams. Uh, the Padres picked him with the sixth overall pick. Uh, he, he's from uh, Blessed Trinity High School. He's supposed to be uh, a shortstop, but... Uh, uh, he could also play center field. He's very athletic. Uh, he's more built for average than power. Uh, he'd fit in right at the top of the lineup probably for the Padres. Uh, I don't know exactly when. Uh, it'll probably take a few years for him. Uh, it'll take him a few extra years to develop. But he's one guy um, that I was looking at. Uh, another guy, uh, uh, this is for the AL West, uh, uh, Josh Chung, uh, third baseman out of Texas Tech, uh, it, he hit 335 for uh, actually, uh, yeah, he had 392 in 2018 and 335 for Texas Tech uh, and that hosted a super regional. Um, so uh, I think uh, he he's a third baseman. Uh, he's he needs to work on his defense. 
but he should have uh, he hits for average and he has uh, a little bit of pop, so that's uh, someone uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, going back out to the NL West, uh, San Francisco Giants with the 10th overall pick picked uh, Hunter Bishop. And we all, we all know that the Giants have a very weak outfield. It actually was the worst outfield in the majors in 2018, and they're near the bottom this season. Uh, so he's a guy uh, who uh, has speed uh, and and some pop, uh, and, and he plays center field. So uh, that's a much-needed boost for the Giants, um, especially if he can be uh, quick through the minor leagues. And last guy um, for the Angels, uh, Will Wilson. Uh, he was picked um, uh, with the 15th overall pick. Uh, he can either play shortstop, but it looks like he, he might be a second baseman. Uh, obviously, um, we'll see how he develops and where he fits in. But he looks like a guy um, who has a little bit of pop because he belted a combined 31 home runs over the last two seasons for NC State. So those are the four guys that uh, caught my attention uh, for the uh, AL and NL West. Uh, who you got for the Central Cole? Oh, you're going to Yeah, Cole, I got you. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, been struggling. Um, all right, so uh, for the Central, you know, um, we, we've talked about up and down the draft a little bit, but I think, uh, you know, I think the main thing when it comes to the Central, uh, AL Central rather, that sticks out is, is how many of these picks uh, are coming at the very, very top of the division, right? Um, or, excuse me, at the very, very top of the draft. Um, three of the first five picks, I believe, went to teams in the AL Central. Uh, you have Bobby Witt, Jr., uh, Kansas City Royals, you know, Bobby Witt Jr. is, you know, the prototypical um, first overall pick. You know, uh, Adley Rushney had, had an incredible, incredible year, uh, which made him the clear first overall pick. But Bobby Witt Jr., high school player, prep player, uh, shortstop, has, has the projection of five tools. You know, lo- looks like the kind of guy uh, who – can uh, play defense, play offense, you know, hit hit for some pop, ha- has some speed to him. Uh, so, you know, just, just the gen- general pl- player type that you expect to see uh, at the very top. Uh, contrast that with exactly what the Chicago White Sox did, and I believe the very next pick uh, going with uh, not just a guy who, who doesn't have necessarily the five-tool acumen, but, but a first baseman. Um, which is, you know, pretty pretty rare at that that point of the draft. A right hand, I believe, a right handed hit uh, first baseman. You know, a player that's going to project his bat only. Andrew Vaughn uh, for the Chicago White Sox. So uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Andrew Vaughn, and then uh, you know the uh, the Detroit Tigers have had so much success this year. Um, going with uh, a guy by the name of Green uh, from their closing rule. So I guess they just figured uh, that they'd carry it on. Uh, into Riley Green, who they drafted fifth overall 
outfielder out of high school. Um, you know, ha- has a lot of the traditional uh, cliches you get for for a player like this. Uh, pure hitter, uh, quick twitch lefty. Um, one of the main main questions that I saw asked about him is uh, if he could stay at center. Is Riley Green going to be a guy uh, more likely to play left field in the long term? But you know, you know, Andrew Vaughn's the kind of guy based on being a college bat bat first. Uh, and not expecting much from the defense. He, he's a guy who would come up pretty quickly. Uh, Green and Bobby Wood Jr. both high school players, so uh, even if they're fairly quick, we'll, we'll not be seeing uh, uh, them for a couple of years. Um, and then uh, on to the NL Central. Um, you know, the uh, AL Central covered all three hitters, uh, um, going over most teams' first-round picks. Um, AL Central covered all hitters that, that these teams managed to pick up. Uh, in the NL Central, every single team managed to uh, do the exact opposite and use their first-round pick, or at least the teams I, I covered uh, used their first-round pick for a pitcher. Um, Cincinnati had the highest drafted, I believe, of, of the division with uh, Nick Lodolo, yeah. uh, the left-handed pitcher out of TCU, uh, a rare six-foot-six left-handed pitcher, so uh, some, some interesting uh, projectables there. Um, Quinn Priester out of uh, – or. Uh, going to Pittsburgh, uh, right-handed pitcher, uh, six foot four, um, and then uh, Chicago Cubs, my team, getting uh, Ryan Jensen. He he actually had a pretty intriguing uh, profile from what I saw. Uh, college play out of Fresno State. I believe he's only six foot tall, which is under uh, below average for a pitcher, um, but does manage to to get it up there at 99, uh, even 100 miles an hour uh, from from what I saw in, in his scouting profile. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, if he's a long-term starter at all, or if he's just a bullpen guy, or or what what's going to do there? But uh, th- there's a, a good number of the uh, first-round picks from the Central Division. Yeah, uh, uh, those were some uh, good picks as well. Uh, obviously, uh, stay tuned for to the Major League Fantasy Sports website for all the breakdown of uh, all the divisions and all the drafts uh, for each teams. Uh, drafts uh, over the next uh, couple uh, weeks. Uh, we'll move on to our series previews. Um, we'll start with Cole. Uh, Cole, uh, you want to just give your um, weekday series and then we'll um, move on to uh, uh, Brian's weekday series? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, uh, my weekday series this week, uh, I believe I wrote them down in the right order, but it's a uh, the Cubs at the Rockies, um, particularly interesting there just because, you know, I, I'm a big Cubs fan, obviously. That's that's the team I choose to uh, to root for the most. And so they'll be going on the road into the best hitting environment uh, there is. Uh, one would expect a very good matchup. You know, I, I know guys like Darvish have been struggling all year, but I especially wouldn't uh, mm-hmm. expect a good matchup here uh, in Colorado uh, or on the other side as, you know the Chicago Cubs have been uh, heating. Were, were heating up uh, throughout uh, the month of May. So good offense coming in uh, to Colorado. You expect uh, to see some pretty good results there. Uh, Marquez, Lambert, and Sintatella are the uh, three starters that are uh, starting this matchup against the Chicago Cubs. Um, Marquez is obviously the uh, more intriguing one to watch. Um, I'm, I'm though interested a little bit to see. Uh, if, if Lambert can can do a good job here uh, against the Cubs, um, so far this season he's got a one two nine ERA. Um, now I know that's only one start, or I believe he's only had one start this year, but that one start he had nine strikeouts. 
only allowed one earned run. So uh, something to look at there, especially for a 22-year-old starting pitcher. So um, Peter Lambert's kind of interesting there. Um, I also go into the uh, Chicago Cubs pitching. I just have to pull up real quick again who who they're going throwing that day. Uh, so Darvish, Quintana, Hamels, uh, pretty much some of the some of the better names or at least the bigger names that you hear in the team. But again, uh, in that Colorado matchup, don't think that that's uh, where you're going to be starting them. Um, interested to see what kind of numbers these, this team can put up on this this three day series. You know, just interested to see how many runs they can put up as a Cubs fan personally. And uh, you know, if the Rockies want to to get back into the playoff picture in a major way, uh, this will be a big series for both teams. Uh, so yeah, that that's more of, more or less all I have to say about that that weekday series. Nice, yeah, uh, it, it will be interesting because. Uh, the Rockies have, uh, have for a little bit been on a little bit of a run. They've sort of uh, come back to the pack uh, a little bit, but they're still they're only two and a half games out of that second wild card spot. So um, it, it's a big week for them playing the Cubs, um, and then they also play San Diego. Uh, so uh, two interesting matchups uh, for the Rockies in general this week. Uh, what about you? Uh, Brian, who you got for your uh, your series to watch um, for the during the week? Well, um, there was a couple intriguing uh, interleague matchups this week, that especially um, cross town rivals. But the one yep. that I think me the most was the Texas Boston four game series coming up. And one, uh-huh. what I really like about that one is you have two teams. Um, the Rangers, I believe the overachieving from what expectations are, have been going into the season yeah. five games over 500, um, you know, into June, almost uh, over a week into June. And then the Red Sox are in third right. place, six games out, and again, and only three games above 500 um, at this point in the season, which is very surprising. So they're almost, I mean, right mm-hmm. now, these two guys are, are really battling for that last wild card spot obviously is a long way to go and obviously the time can be made up I don't see anyone catching the Astros but with the AL East you know with everybody kind of cannibalizing each other Boston could certainly find a way back into the, the division race but they haven't played consistent enough so far this year that I don't know that that's really um you know in the cards this year but the fact of the matter is um these teams are very could be a preview of what we could be seeing for that for that, that stretch. And the four-game series is critical. If Boston has at once a chance to get back into um, the uh, the division race, they need to take three out of four in this series and also knock the Rangers down a little bit so they have more of a, a hold on that on that second wild card spot. Um, so that's the that's what's at stake in this um, in this series. Now, what I think some of the keys are is um, the the Rangers' surprising rotation uh, against the uh, Red Sox uh, banged-up um, uh, lineup. And the rotation yep. for the, the uh, Rangers has been surprising. Mike Miner, I mean, I always liked him. And he, I know he was, uh, he was kind of a post-hype prospect and never really lived up to the hype. And, and, uh, but he was always, like, you know, a guy that, you know, was productive. But he has turned into, um, like, really a – ace for the Rangers. Maybe not the stat completely ace-like, but 
he's he's the the unquestioned number one, and he's really developed now that he's in his thirties to a to an excellent pitcher and some and, and a stopper in that uh, rotation, which has been excellent. And the other guy that's pitched uh, really well so far, surprisingly, is the other thirty-year-old guy, Lance Lynn, uh, who's bounced around over the last few years and pretty much nobody thought he could pitch anymore. Well, he's been pitching fairly well too. And these are both guys that um, are probably top 25 pitchers in um, starting pitchers in the uh, in the league in all major leagues right now uh, over the course of the year based on the performance thus far, which is even more impressive considering where they play in Texas, which is a hitter's ballpark. Um, so both of those guys will will pitch in this four game series um, along with uh, Ariel Dorado and uh, Adrian Sampson. Um, those guys are are younger and probably not quite sure what to expect from them. Those are definitely the areas that I think that the the Red Sox could exploit. Um, but they got they need to be the Red Sox. They need to be able to take out one of those two um, pitchers in Minor and Lynn in order to to make some ground. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they stack up. Um, to continue with the Rangers um, in their pitching, their uh, bullpen has been a little bit of an enigma this year too. With uh, going into the mm. season, Jose Leclerc was was a hot pickup and in somebody that everyone thought was going to be uh, a top ten closer in this league, and he faltered pretty bad at the beginning to the point where not only was he demoted but was sent down uh, to get get his uh, you know his stuff in order, so to speak. Um, right. Since he's been back, he's actually been excellent, um, and although he hasn't regained the sole possession of the closer. Uh, he's more of a, um, a setup guy right now. Um, this is a team that, in the Rangers, I think is is utilizing that um, mentality where they're pitching their best pitcher in the um, when they uh, when the best hitters come up. So you see Clerk pitching the eighth a lot, and because they, they know they have Sean Kelly that can close the game, who might probably not a better pitcher than Clerk, but he is experienced. He has been a closer before, and you can count on him to wrap it up. You know, against the seventh, eighth, and ninth guy, we have no problem sending Kelly out there to get that thing taken care of. Bringing Leclerc, who's got the better stuff, um, in against the uh, the the better hitters, and so far it's been working out for him since they've gone that route. Um, their their bats have been surprisingly good this year, and the um, fact of the matter is, uh, since since two has been uh, has had a renaissance. I had written this guy up in mm. fantasy for years now, and he's having a great season. And Hunter Pence is also yeah. is has a new lease on life. And those two guys have really anchored this lineup, and they haven't faltered with Gallo going down. Been really impressed with it. Although they might not be as as the length might not be there without Gallo, I certainly think that they are competitive each each, day, uh, each game, and that's why they're doing so well. And just quickly um, taking a look at the the Red Sox, I don't even know who the hell is pitching on Tuesday for the Red Sox. You know, you got Sale on Monday. Purcell is on Wednesday, Price is on mm-hmm. Thursday. Um, so, you know, but that minor sale game to me is going to be really intriguing to see see what happens with there. But the fact of the matter is the Red Sox right. don't have a first baseman right now. Uh, Michael Chavez has been great, but he's not a first baseman. And he's had to play right. there for the, fa- for the fact that both uh, Moreland and um, uh, Pierce are on the disabled list. So they've been de- dealing with some injuries there. Um, and, and overall, their, their bats have not been – um, what they used to be, but guys like uh, Bet is coming around, and Endeavors is having a great year this year after a bad year last year. So they're coming coming around. The bats are coming around. I think they're going to be fine. 
I still questionable with that um, that rotation. A couple um, price has been inconsistent. So Estelle has been for that matter too. And and of course their bullpen has not been been great. Um, Barnes and Workman have 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 done their job, but they still don't really have a true closer. And um, they're going right. to go with this group. It looks like down the stretch because they they weren't really in on Kimbrel at all. Um, so. There's, there's a lot of question marks with this Red Sox team, but um, this 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 is an intriguing matchup this week, and we'll see how they uh, who comes out on top. There's a lot of key um, key matchups there to look at. The uh, um, you know really how this plays out. Yeah, uh, definitely definitely a uh, intriguing set uh, uh, for sure. And um, uh, Brian, we'll just. Uh, We'll go right into your weekend series, uh, and then we'll close out with Cole's weekend series. Sure, and, and I'll try to make this brief. I know I kind of went long on that last one, but my my weekend, yeah, um, no another intriguing matchup what, uh, between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. I'm sorry, uh, the Phillies and the Braves, a divisional matchup uh, of the two top teams in this division. Yeah, and. Uh, the Braves can take, go a long way to getting get wrapped back up and maybe overtaking the Phillies in short order. They just brought in Dallas Keuchel, so he won't be ready probably for a few weeks. Um, they have um, had a, a an amazing um, run by Mike Soraka and Max Freed that have really helped them. Luke Jackson's been solid at the bullpen, though the rest of that bullpen is pretty much in shambles. And you know they can hit. And they got um, Freeman and Donaldson that are doing their thing, especially Freeman is having a fantastic year. Um, Acuna, he's doing his thing too, but he's really, honestly, he's not doing what I thought he would be. I think he says having somewhat of a, a sophomore slump, though not horrible, but Swanson has kind of um, come back a little bit, and you got uh, Austin Raleigh had a had a nice start, but it's kind of cooled off a little bit. But you have a nice mix of, of vets and young guys in there. I think it's going to serve them well throughout the season. But um, really, what's going to happen? This this um, uh, is going to be Freed, Gosman, and Fultzy against the, the Phillies at the end of the week. And that the um, the concern I have is, other than Freed, the other two have been really a hit and a miss this year. And if the the Phillies offense is is going full blast, um, the Phillies could really score some runs. They, you know, we just they just picked up Bruce. Um, you know, to, to help in that lineup a little bit because they've had some injuries as well and some dumbasses getting involved in uh, domestic violence, which I don't understand why these guys keep doing. But um, their, their, their lineup is good. Their lineup's going to hit. They have been kind of up and down. There's enough guys in there. Someone's going to hit. And um, their pitching has been solid, but not fantastic this year. But they got Provetta, Nola, and Eikhoff. So uh, you do have Nola in that game. So um, they do have an advantage against the Nola Gossman job. Pavetta, as since he's been back mm-hmm. up, he's pitched very well, and I'll be interested to see right. um, how he does uh, against Freed. But um, really, this this could go either way. Uh, this is an interesting matchup, and I think the winner of this series could really um, want going into the summer and make some um, make some noise and maybe make a uh, full way from the pack because they have a especially if there's a sweep one way or the other. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, uh, that's one of the matchups I was uh, looking at. Uh, if there, if there, if there was uh, more more time in the show, uh, I was going to list a couple more matchups that people should be watching, and that was one of the ones uh, I was looking at uh, for the weekend. 
Cole, we'll finish up with you. Uh, what's your matchup for the for the weekend? Well, you know, I know we don't have uh, too much time left, uh, because uh, so I'll just go through over some brief notes. Um, you know, the one matchup I picked yep. for the weekend uh, was the Yankees White Sox, just because it's a it's just because it's a four game series. Honestly, um, I think it'll be interesting right. to see. Uh, some of the more young, less proven Yankees go up against some of the more young, less proven White Sox. Um, you know, this White Sox team uh, has really been struggling, at least comparative to, uh, to the early season where, you know, Jan Mankata and, and Tim Anderson looked like they couldn't, you know, get out or at least consistently anymore. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, when it when it comes to th- this matchup, I'll be interested to see uh, if the White Sox are able to put, push across enough runs uh, to take out some of the, these younger Yankees pitchers. Um, uh, in terms of young pitching, though, I think the most interesting of the whole group is probably, uh, you know, someone, uh, I believe it was Brian Lurz mentioned a renaissance uh, for a different player earlier. If one player's had a renaissance, I think it would have to be uh, Lucas Giolito. Um, absolutely yep. in, uh, incredible. Uh, this last couple starts uh, really going back uh, for a while now. So uh, Lucas Giolito, very interesting, uh, and and I thought worth worth noting here. But uh, that that's pretty much all I got for that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I I, I totally agree. Uh, Giolito has been a, a total uh, renaissance uh, this year, and he's really coming to his own and is. Uh, Basically a must start. I mean, I, I'm actually sitting in uh, in a league only because I have a, a couple two-star pitchers uh, who I think will be more productive combined more than he will in a in a points league. But other than that, uh, he's probably going to be in my uh, starting lineup uh, week in and week out. Um, but uh, we'll 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 end the show there. Uh, Brian, as always, it was great. Um, talk with you. Uh, any closing points you want to uh, share before we go, let you go? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to um, close by thanking you for giving me the opportunity on the show. I love uh, talking about these, no these young guys, these, these draft guys, and, and just a, um, kind of a final reminder that um, check out the uh, Major League Fantasy Sports coverage of the draft, which it's going to start on June 18th with Kyle Amore. He's going to be dropping the first piece on um, on, on, one of, on one of the central divisions. And then myself and Nick Elbach yep. will, will be covering. He'll be taking in the West, and I'll be doing the East. And we'll have two weeks, six articles total, covering the, these guys. So if you like what you heard tonight, uh, you're going to get some more in-depth information um, over those two weeks in those articles. So, um, you know, it's I, I, I'm, I'm proud to be part of the organization that really does put a focus on this because a lot of fantasy organizations won't due to the fact that they, yeah. these guys don't come up for many years. So it's, it's really awesome, and I think people will enjoy the coverage of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, make, uh, I'll make sure to look out for that. Uh, ask it uh, all of our listeners and uh, anyone else who comes across uh, MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. Uh, it was a pleasure, Brian. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. All right, Cole, uh, you have any closing points uh, before we um, close up uh, shop? And uh, I'll talk to you next week as well. No, I, I don't think anything big. 
Um, I'd just like to say yeah. that uh, we'll, we'll continue working on the show, and uh, hopefully next week we'll uh, we'll have some more of the same. Yeah, exactly. Uh, couldn't agree more. Um, as always, it was a pleasure, Cole. I'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. All right. And that will do it for the Major League Fantasy Baseball Radio Show. Uh, next week, uh, it will be me and Cole, uh, along with the guest, uh, just helping you out with your streamers, uh, some hitters that uh, you need to pick up, and talking about uh, some series to look forward to. So uh, have a good week, and we'll uh, talk to you next time.